0: thinking this week about things in my life that have made me feel safe. Are there things in your life that that give you a sense of security or or make you feel safe? When I was a little boy, I had this blanket that was white and had a green border and a green teddy bear on it, and I called it Blanky, and I loved Blanky. And I evidently couldn't sleep without Blanky. It's actually funny because it wasn't far from here where I lost it. We were traveling across the country with my grandparents, and we spent the night in Glenwood Springs, and my parents put me on a pull-out couch in my grandparents' room, and evidently in the morning when the couch got folded back up, Blanky got folded into the couch. And so after a 14-hour drive home from Glenwood Springs, I realized I didn't have Blanky, and I was inconsolable. I think I was 18 or 19. (laughs) I was six. (laughs) Probably still too old to have that blankie, but it made me feel safe. I was thinking also when I was a child, if there were people around that seemed scary to me, I was comforted and felt safe when I was with my dad. To me, he was big and strong and nothing would hurt me when he was with me. And when my dad scared me, I felt safe when my mom was there, (laughs) because she would keep my dad. There are things in our life that make us feel safe. There was one time I was, when I was in mortuary school in Cincinnati, a, a good friend of mine had friends that went to the University of Cincinnati, and it was right when we started, and I'd never been down there. And we got invited to go to this concert with them, and so we drove down to the University of Cincinnati and had dinner and went to this concert, and we didn't leave until like 11 o'clock at night, and neither of us knew where we were going, and we got turned around, and we ended up in a neighborhood that we had no business being in during the day, let alone at 11 o'clock at night. And we kept getting stopped at red lights, and we were both looking around, and both pretty nervous, and at one of the red lights, a cop pulled up behind us, and I remember my friend Josh going, oh, and I said, what? He goes, there's a cop behind us. I've never been so happy to see a cop in my whole life, (laughs) but it made us feel secure. It was something outside of ourselves that brought us security. In our spiritual lives, the Holy Spirit resides within us and should give us that security that can never be found in anything else. It can't be found in ourselves. It cannot be found in a church. It cannot be found in our wealth or our homes or anything else that God has given us his spirit. So we look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 today as Paul is going to highlight the work of the spirit we have looked at the work of the Father, we have looked at the work of the Son, and now he's going to highlight the work of the Spirit, and I take from this that we are saved, sealed, and secure in God's Spirit. We are saved, sealed, and secure in God's Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Spirit, that as your Spirit has worked through men in all ages, that here in the church age, you have given us your spirit to reside within us, to help us become more like Jesus Christ, to live lives that are honoring to you. And God, we thank you for the security that that does provide. Be with us today as, as we are in your word. Speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are saved, sealed, and secure in his spirit. Read both verses together and then we'll we'll go through them says, so verse 13, In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So he starts this again with in him. So I brought out several weeks ago when we see in him in Ephesians that he is pointing to this new position that we have in Jesus that we used to be one way but now we are this we are in him it is this beautiful promise that that life has changed because of what Jesus has done for us and our faith in him we are no longer who we used to be as he'll bring out the beginning of the next chapter that how they used to be. They are no longer that. They are in him. And this phrase, it keeps recurring here uh, through this first chapter. It was used in verse 3, verse 4, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, verse 10, verse 12, and here in 13. That this is an important truth that Paul is trying to get across to them, that this truth is foundational to their faith. Nothing can happen if you don't have a firm foundation. Or when I studied Hebrew in seminary, and you know, we spent the first like eight months just learning tenses and all of the. I mean, you start with the alphabet, obviously, because it is not our alphabet, and then uh, all of these things that the professor kept saying, we're still in the foundation. We're still in the foundation. It seemed like three-fourths of the time we spent learning Hebrew was the foundation. Paul keeps repeating this in Christ over and over because it is the foundation for what he is teaching them about their position and how their position affects their condition. So he tells them that, that you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Warren Wearsby said that this verse, in a nutshell, is how a sinner becomes a saint. That you hear the good news. That the, the instrument that God has chosen to build his church is the message of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. The gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ, God himself, died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again he offers us eternal life when we believe in him for it. And Paul says that they heard that. As Paul says in, in Romans 10, 17, that, that faith comes by hearing. That you have to have the gospel presented to you, in that truth, and understand it, and believe in it. The gospel that he presents in Ephesians 2 to them, again, in pointing to what they have, In chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves is this gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast, that it is this gift that they have received from God. And as he has pointed out, through through God's plans, through the work of his Son, and now he is bringing in the Spirit and sealing them because they have believed in Jesus for eternal life that these Gentiles, when they heard it, they believed and it resulted in their salvation and because of their salvation, as he says there at the end of the verse, that they were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Interestingly enough, as we look through Ephesians, being about the, the, the church and how we are in this new position and how that changes our lives and how we as a church are growing and living a different life and changing the world around us that the Holy Spirit is used, is referred to 59 times in the book of Ephesians, which in this one book is about a fourth of the references in all of the New Testament. Here we see this this sequence of of hearing, believing, and sealing. the, The sealing happens at the moment we believe. Acts shows many places where the Spirit comes upon those who have believed. In Acts 19, it is, it's talking about Apollos, and he's in Corinth. and uh, Or Paul is, is passed through while Apollos was in Corinth. And here at Ephesus, this is a ber- verse we read when we were looking at the overview of the book. And verse 2, is, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They he said, No, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He says, Then what then were you baptized? And they said and it is John's baptized, baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him that was coming after him, that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying this is this gift of God to us when we believe. And that is what happened at Ephesus that he's bringing this out for them of of what has happened in their lives and he's doing it to show them that who they are now you have been sealed seals were an important thing in Paul's world seals were used to authenticate that this is what I say it is and I'm guaranteeing it I'm putting my seal on it seals were used to show ownership that if I was shipping something from one place to another and if I had power and authority that others would fear, I would put my seal on it and it would not be messed with going from one place to the other. As we see with the the tomb and and Jesus and the the Roman seal being put on it, there would have been penalty of death for a man to break that is why the, the stories of the apostles coming and stealing his body even though they were afraid and hiding in a room somewhere the boldness it would have taken to to break a roman seal seals are also given for protection turn with me to revelation 7 read verses 3 to 8 revelation 7 this is saying do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees, until we have sealed the bondservants of our Lord on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000 tribe of Issachar, twelve thousand, the tribe of Zebulun, twelve thousand, the tribe of Joseph, twelve thousand, tribe of Benjamin, twelve thousand. I suppose I didn't need to read all of those, but that these are the Jews that Jesus is God is going to miraculously save during the tribulation, and he is going to protect them. That sealed is repeated over and over, but about what God is going to do for them. That in order to spread the gospel throughout all of the Jews, that these 144,000 are going to be sealed, they're going to be protected by God. That These are the truths that the Ephesians would have understood. We read sealed, and you know, I I think of, we have one of those food savers. That's fun. You know, you you seal the one end, and you close the one end off, you put the food in it, you put it up there, and it and sucks the air out of it, and it melts the plastic, and it seals the food in there, which keeps it for much longer from going bad. Sealed to them, it did protect. It did, but they would have understood it as the you know the wax, soft wax that was put onto something, and a signet ring was pushed into it, and it carried all of these connotations with it that they would have understood. So when Paul is saying that they have been sealed. By the promised Holy Spirit, that this is an amazing thing. That it isn't just the work of the Father that we praise Him for, or just the work of the Son that we praise Him for, but we praise Him that we have been sealed. We are genuinely His, we are protected, we are authentic. These are beautiful truths about who we now are in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Romans eight eleven that if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that He will give life to your mortal bodies. That is a beautiful, beautiful promise, and Paul is bringing that out here about who they now are in Christ. That Jesus promised this Spirit to His disciples, and that promise came true. He is the Holy Spirit of Promise, or the Promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, it was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit's indwelling presence is a pledge that God gives us as his children. The pledge isn't just a promise. It is literally the first part of our inheritance. It's like a, a down payment, so to speak. But because we have this, I can know that the rest is true. Uh, Thirty years ago, two gentlemen at Dallas Theological Seminary started a... They wrote several books on the already-not-yet. I don't really buy into their theology. That's all about the kingdom, that there are aspects of the kingdom here and then to come, and I look forward to a perfect kingdom that is to come. But anyways, the already-not-yet is very applicable to this. That I already have the Spirit, and so I can know I will live eternally with God. Me being with Him in His presence is yet to come, but I have this presence of the Spirit in me. And He says that that is this pledge. I think a, a good illustration for a pledge. You know, not long after Erica and I started dating, we were both at an age where we were we were looking for the one. And I found someone who loved the Lord and who we, we shared this profession and, and all these things. And it wasn't long before we started talking about marriage, but it was a few months before I could get a ring. And once she had that ring on her finger as a pledge of our upcoming marriage, she could then say, yes, we are engaged. She had that pledge had been given to her just as God has given us our, his Holy Spirit, that we know what is to come because of what has been given to us, just as an engagement ring on a lady's finger shows that she is betrothed, she is going to be getting married. That is the kind of pledge that is being pointed to here. Interestingly enough, that that pledge, in that time, a, a man's honor stood on the line when that pledge was made. And so what Paul is saying here, our perfect God could never go back on his word. He has given us this pledge. He will not fail to keep it. As they would have understood it if, if they as a man gave, uh, the is in Arabon this pledge to another man that, that their reputation, who they were, depended on them keeping it. And that is what Paul is presenting here as God having done for us. That who he is depends on him keeping this pledge. And he cannot break it because of who he is. I said this pledge was this is pledge of our inheritance, this sort of down payment what we have with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. We looked at redemption last week in verse 7. I uh, think justification or receiving eternal life being being bought back out of sin are in view there. Here I think that what is in view is our, our ultimate redemption, our glorification that when we are that fullness comes of what we have the part of now when we are with God forever and we are in sinless bodies and in his presence that this is our, our ultimate glorification is the redemption that he is talking about here. Uh, we have been redeemed in Christ as he said in verse 7. Uh, as we grow in Christ we are, we are being redeemed as the, the spirit makes us more like Christ. We are, are having more and more power over sin. But we will also be finally redeemed when Christ returns and we become sinless and live forever in his presence, glorifying him. And we are God's possession. God had the plan to send his son. He redeemed us through his son, and now he has sealed us in his spirit, making us his. As I pointed to, that was one of the purposes of sealing something, putting your seal on it, it was that it showed that it was yours and that is the truth that Paul brings out here that we are his possession. What a wonderful thing. God loves us. He's given us his Son. He has done all of these things so that we could. so in this, in this big idea of us being saved, sealed and secure in the Spirit, why should this give us? Security. Why should that make us feel safe as we walk through this world? Well, again, if I'm basing where I'm going for eternity on myself, unless I delude myself, I will constantly be disappointed in myself. But if I base it on him and the finished work of Jesus Christ and having his spirit, then it provides that safety and security that only God can provide, That having his spirit within me, I'll I'll get to these in in a minute, but as in our small group, we're looking through the fruits of the spirit. That when those things, when I am submitting myself to him, and those things are coming out in my life, that I know I'm his possession. And I get that joy of of serving him. I think why this is important is we so often take our experiences and we relate them to other things. I know I do it. It's it's a hard habit to break of, you know, telling someone else. Well, I know just how you feel. Well, no, I don't. I may have gone through something similar. I may have gone through something I see as similar, but you don't. But that we're really good at taking our experiences and and placing them on others. Well, we're good at doing that with God too. And taking our human relationships and understanding God through those. Something that got brought up in. My Sunday school class this morning. We cannot live fully for God if we do not have an adequate view of Him. And so, knowing His goodness and His love and His self-sacrifice and all of these things, that when I place my faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, my assurance of where I'm going for eternity is solely on Him. And I say this because, as I brought out with the fruits of the Spirit, and throughout Galatians five that Paul is talking about walking in the Spirit. We've talked about that. I believe that is this faith walk that starts with humility and knowing that I am a sinner saved by grace, and that I allow God to use me. And the more I do that, the more the fruits of the Spirit come out in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That the Spirit no longer appears as a flaming tongue above my head and I'm not raising anyone from the dead or healing the sick or speaking in a language that I've never learned but that I am serving God and I have these fruits coming out in my life that cannot be from me. They have to be from Him and that provides this ultimate security in my life that I know that I am saved, sealed, and secure; That my assurance comes from nothing other than knowing that Jesus died for my sins. And as again, Paul says in chapter 2, that this is, it is not of works. It's a gift. I can't boast about it. I know that it was all him. If you've been to a funeral I've done, you know my favorite passage for funerals is John 11. But in this book of John that is written to an unbeliever that Jesus presents the gospel to Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think assurance is the essence of saving faith, that Jesus has made me a promise that if I live and believe in him, I will never die. Do I believe him or not? And that that assurance of knowing that Jesus rose from the dead after paying for my sins he can keep his promises he is god he cannot help but keep his promises and that i rest in that assurance and that assurance is solely on him and so it places me in that where i need to be to serve god and it is so easy to take my eyes off of that and to feel pretty good about myself and things i'm doing and if i've been able to help people or or teach this or do that but if I'm ever doing that I'm taking my eyes off of him I'm not serving him in a way that pleases him and so that's what what I'm urging today as we look at our again at our position in Christ with the spirit that, that being secure in him it all rests on him there's nothing I can do to earn it there's nothing I can do to keep it I'll finish with a quote from Charles Stanley on his book on eternal security he said I've never met a Christian who has lost his salvation however I have met plenty who have lost their assurance our security rests in the hands of an unconditionally loving heavenly father one who gave his best to ensure our fellowship with him forever our assurance rests in the understanding and acceptance of these glorious truths for some people, the problem is erroneous teaching. For others, the problem is guilt. But whatever the reason, the result is the same, a lack of assurance. And when assurance goes, the basic building blocks of the relationship also go. I read somewhere else that it was interesting because I often tell people that if we're not overwhelmed by God's grace, we can't give grace to others. If we're not overwhelmingly assured of our eternal life, then we're not going to share it with others. If I am questioning whether or not I am saved or could be saved, or, then I, I'm not going to grow and I'm not going to, to do what it should be the essence of every believer's life, and that is living out the truth and sharing the truth. Because as Paul brought out there at the beginning of verse 13, that, that they heard the gospel. Somebody had to tell it to them. And that is our job as believers. And so let us rest in that assurance and live it out. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Spirit again. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead does dwell in me. By submitting to him, by submitting to you and your plan for my life, that I do have life in this, this mortal body. God, help us to live that out in a way that, that draws in those who need to hear about Jesus. We live in a world that is overwhelmed by sin, by rebellion to you, and we have the good news. Help us to live that out and to share it joyfully about what you have done for the world. Lord, be with us in our annual meeting today. Pray that it is a uplifting time, and that as we look forward to this next year, God, that we will continue to take steps in, in growing together and in growing our service of you.